Hello and welcome to Not So Molly Mormon Podcast. Hello and welcome back, you guys. This is Sarah. And this is Katie. Happy December. I mean, it's been <laughs> December for a while. <laughs> Happy December. Mid, Mid-December. mid We can say that. And can I just go on record and say that Jesus is not the reason for the season? <laughs> <laughs> we do not put Christ in Christmas. <gasps> We're terrible. <laughs> Just kidding. Horrible. <laughs> um, yeah, I have a few little like fun items to talk oh, about. Oh. Yes, please do. Because I know everyone's so excited about my life and weekly updates. So I'm sure everyone's thinking, have you finished listening to Up and Vanished? And I'm like, oh my God, I can't wait to talk about it with you guys. Because I please did. Do tell. You Did you finish? I did, yeah. I binged the shit out of that. Like, I couldn't get enough. That was fast. Oh, I know. Like, I had it on all day in the background of work, and I would just be like, (gasps) like, audible gasp all the time. So I'm not going to ruin it for those of you who haven't listened, but it's fucking mental, and it's, like, where I'm from, which is, like, blowing my goddamn mind. You know, like, when you you brought that up and we were talking about it last week, I was like... I need to go back and listen because that first season is so good that I want to go back and listen to the details again because, yeah, I'm so glad you binged it. It's amazing, right? It's amazing, but it's also really creepy and, like, Mm -hmm. just the details of it. There's still so many things that aren't solved. Like, to this day, it's still not – like. They obviously know what happened. It's not a missing persons case anymore, but it's like they haven't had the trials yet. Like it's still going on and still happening. Like they still don't know all the details to it yet because it's just like the most mental story you will ever hear. And again, because like this woman who it all happens to, the missing persons, Tara Grinstead, like, the, the details are, like, oh, she graduated from Valdosta State. Like, that's where I went in between my <gasps> BYU days. Like. Wow. And wasn't she, was she around our age or just slightly older? She was older, yeah. But but her students, so when this happened, it was in 2005. So I would have been the same age as the people involved in this. Oh, that's right. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Okay. Oh man. So Such it's 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 a mind fuck and it's so much so that I I even dared to message my mom about it because I was <gasps> like I want to know if she like cuz obviously my my parents like are very like typical southerners who, you know, have the news channel on most of the time Fox. Let's let's just be honest. <laughs> and the background, like every evening I grew up watching like Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy and the news like at dinner. Like that's <laughs> what we did. So I was like, oh, I wonder, because it was on all the local news stations, and especially the one that I'm from, like this, the town mm-hmm. I'm from, they even are on there. Like, there's a reporter oh, wow. who's talking about it. So anyway, so I just, like, messaged her, but then I was a bit nervous, thinking, oh, but then she's going to ask how I found out about this, and I have to talk to her about podcasts, and I'm a bit scared that she's going to, like, get into podcasts and find ours. <laughs> like, I was, like, kind of panicking, but I thought, whatever, it's fine. So I asked her and instantly she knew about the case, like without Mm -hmm. even like, oh, yeah, that's been going on for years. It's still in the news. Like, I'm really interested. She's like, I'm really interested in finding out more about it. How did you find out? And I was like, shit. 
a, a <laughs> podcast? Do you know what those are? And she's like, oh, I've heard about them. And I was like, yeah. But, you know, it's kind of like the radio, but not really. It's, in, it's yeah, a lot yeah. of... It's a lot of time. Like, I'm trying to, like, dissuade her from listening. And she was like, no, I would like to listen. Can you send me the link? <laughs> oh, my God. You know what's so funny is that I I know that my family listens to some podcasts. But I think they're more like the spiritual or maybe, like, the Oprah podcasts, right? Like, yeah. Like that. And so I'm just like, you know, I really hope that since, since they're not supposed to be called Mormons and since our podcast has an explicit, like, warning next to it, even if they scrolled by it somehow by chance, they wouldn't listen because it's like, you know, it has the Mormon word and it is explicit. So I've had that same thought, too. Like, uh, don't search for anything. Right. I even made Greg. I was like, Greg, can you... Can you type in on iTunes or Spotify, just type in Mormon and see what pops up? Because I could see my mom being like, oh, I like these podcasts. So let me like type in Mormon podcasts. And then he was like, no, it's not pulling up. But he's like, oh, wait, it's number seven on Spotify. Yeah. It's like, fuck. Okay. All right. We're good. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not high enough, you know, which is horrible because we obviously want our podcast to go to number one and be the first thing that pops up. But <laughs> anyways, that's, that's my first exciting nice, nice. news. I know you guys are like, wow, thank you, Sarah, for spending five minutes of our lives talking about Up and Vanish in your week. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> second, and I think last thing, as I have to give a shout out to our girl, Karen, she came over on Saturday and it was so funny. She walked to my flat. So like our flat is only like a 20, 30 minute walk apart. And she walked over and what she was listening to was our podcast. So I opened the door and she was like, oh, looking like I'm catching up. Like this is what I listen to when I go for walks. And I was like, oh, that's sweet. I know. So thanks, Karen. Thanks, Karen. Um, I think that's all I have, Katie. Nothing. I have an announcement because we have a new patron. That's much more important than my news. Woo! Patron. (laughs) New patron, Emily. Hello, Emily. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Emily. I don't, I can't think of an alliterative adjective to give you right now, but, um, Energetic Emily. I thought I could think of. I was like, energetic Emily. <laughs> Empathetic Emily. There we go. There we go. Welcome um, and thank you. Yes. And thank you to all our patrons and to all of you, as usual, like we always say. Um, okay, so are we ready to just get into the the story? Yes, you guys, you're gonna be really excited about this. And I'm super pumped because like most of you and we gathered this from your 2020 Spotify recap mm-hmm. is that you listen to us, but you listen to a lot of true crime like yes. us. Yes. So what perfect combination than Mormon topics and a true crime put into one. So Katie's going to tell us an amazing Mormon true crime story, which I'm super excited about. I, yeah, I just, I can't wait. Oh, I'm so excited to tell it. So as I do usually before we tell these stories is, can I just give a overall content warning? True crime. <laughs> there yes. is, there's like death and there's bad criminal activity and there's, yeah. So just overall. It's a trigger warning. If, trigger if warning. violence. 
yeah, yeah. violence. If you don't like that kind of stuff, go ahead and skip. Uh, we don't, we won't be offended, but yeah. Okay. So um, the sources I used mainly for this research was um, KUTV News, Time Magazine, the Crimes of Passion podcast episode on this, and Investigation Discovery has a, a documentary on it. Also, there's a really, really good podcast that's like a serialized podcast, and it's called Cold, and it is really long and amazing, and I listened to it a few years ago, but... If you guys want to dive deeper into that, it, into this case, it's called Cold Podcast, and it's really Ooh. good. Yeah. Wow, um, yours is so much more advanced than mine. Usually I'm like, my sources are Wikipedia and something I watched on Netflix ages ago that I'm just putting together some of the bits and pieces I remember. You know how it goes. <laughs> You're just telling it, you know, how you remember. It's fine. <laughs> So today I'm going to tell the story of the Powell family. Ooh. Have you heard of it, Sarah? I told you not to research it, but I feel like you might have kind of heard a little bit about it. Well, I, th- I messaged you about it, <laughs> how the tables have turned. I talked to you oh, about it and you don't did. remember. <laughs> <laughs> um. That is good. Give it right back to me. <laughs> Guys, it felt so good to keep that in for so long because I was like, you can't just, wait. You were just waiting. Put, like, when can I? Waiting. I was like, ooh, I cannot wait to put her on blast this week. <laughs> just kidding. Um, yeah, I messaged you when we were talking about that uh, Netflix seri- um, series or documentary about, what was it, American Family Next Door or American oh. Murder? Yes. Okay. So this definitely has those same kind of vibes as like the. Yeah. yeah. Because they were around the same time, right? I just, I got the stories confused because when it came on, I was like, oh, was this right. the story? And then as I kept watching, I was like, wait, no. And then I, we, you and I were messaging and you were like, oh, no, it's the Powell story, which was around rough, like kind of close time frame, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, yeah, so you know about it, but I feel like maybe these details will be a good refresher. So everyone buckle up. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Josh Powell met Susan Cox in Tacoma, Washington at a Mormon Institute class. Oh, oh boy! <laughs> I never why went, you should not go to institute, everyone. Right? I never went to institute, but it just seemed miserable. Oof. Oh God, I went so many times because you know once you go through the four years because the four books, yeah, Book of Mormon, oh. Old Testament, New Testament, Doctrine and Covenants, they start that shit all over again. So oh. I would have to go through it again, and I went on so many institute dates. It's disgusting. It's like Ew. the cheapest, laziest thing you could do. <laughs> anyway, okay. so that's where they met in November of 2000. Susan was 19, very young, and Josh was 24. Um, Susan was very open about her life goal as a Mormon woman was to get married to a worthy Mormon man and to have children with him. Like, that was her goal. She didn't mind working, but she didn't want to. She wanted to do the very, very Mormon woman thing, which is fine if that's what people want to do. Um, Mm -hmm. But, yeah, like we've talked about before, Mormon women are basically told they have to do that. So is that what she, like, told him in the beginning? Yeah, she was, like, open with it 
um, with everyone. Everyone knew that it was like, oh, that's her goal. Like she wants to get married like now to <laughs> someone. Yeah. Okay. Um, she was really excited when Josh, an older man, he's, you know, five years older than her. Um, and he was a worthy priesthood holder. Um, he was interested in her and asked her out. And so they began a relationship. But most people weren't that super fond of Josh. He was really loud, super boisterous and narcissistic. And he was even more obsessed with like traditional gender roles than the average Mormon person. Like, oh how's that even possible? I know. It's crazy. He was a big douche canoe. Um, <laughs> most most people found him super arrogant, um, but Susan saw him as confident and strong, this worthy priesthood man that was going to take her to the temple. Um, she quickly fell in love with him. I, I put in love in quotes because it's like how, I don't know, they got, so this was how fast it moved. They got engaged within two months of meeting each other. <sighs> So I'm like, can you really be in love? I mean, maybe, but. Oh, oh my God. Fast. Like, can you imagine? I'm just like, what? I don't even know. Um, okay, so they got two, they got engaged too much after they met. And then six months later, they were sealed in the Portland, Oregon temple in April of oh, 2001. Geez. So like, yeah, they'd only known each other for eight months. God, I can't even wrap my head around that. And I used to think that that was totally reasonable when I was Mormon. I was like, oh, yeah, I could totally see myself dating someone for a few months and getting married before the year yeah. is up. Like, and that's normal. And now that I'm in, like, a healthy, functional relationship, I can't even imagine. Right. Like, I'm we were still way. completely figuring each other out after eight months like to the point where I was still like we don't know we barely know I mean we're still getting yeah. to know each other and it's you know it's been longer than eight months like right it's been a while it's but yeah, can you imagine like you you've only known this person for eight months and you're already married to them living together you're experiencing sex for the first time with this person and then you're like wanting to have kids right away. I just can't imagine such a big life change in such a small amount of time. It's pretty no, wild. It stresses me the fuck out and also like not have, and this is again, this is not a diss to any of our listeners who, you know, you did that path and you still left the church and are still with your significant other. This is not a diss at all about that, but I just think too, like not, having sex before you get married is just mind-blowing to me because you it's a it's a big deal like it's yeah. a you need yeah. to know if you're compatible and like it's not even about like I mean it is compatibility but also knowing how your partner if they're receptive to like communicating and sex and like knowing you know like being open-minded yeah. like you don't want someone who's like never going to change and who gets upset or offended if you're like hey could you maybe not like jab my clit and like, you know, do something a little better than that, you know? Totally. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, definitely. So, so Susan knew, like she fully acknowledged that they had moved really quickly into the marriage, but like that was basically her goal and it didn't bother her. And she believed that since they were married in the temple and they both had strong faith in God and the church, that their marriage would flourish. Like, 
you know, that's what you're taught. Like you, you put God at the center and you follow the church's teachings and you're going to be happy. Everything will be fine. And she Mm. talked about that often with friends, but problems in the marriage quickly surfaced. Dun, dun, dun. They do. So in Susan's eager rush to get married, she'd overlooked a huge issue, which was that Josh was almost entirely incapable of holding down a job. Um, And Mm. I don't, I don't think that, people's value stems from them working or holding a job but with in his case it came down to his attitude like his arrogant condescending attitude and he was really like mean to people that he worked with and super just aggressive and so he couldn't hold a job even though that like he wanted to you know what I'm saying Mm -hmm. so this left the financial burden entirely upon Susan um, and she had a good job as a cosmetologist, but it wasn't enough to pay all of the bills. So to save money, they moved into Josh's dad's house in Puyallup. Is that, I think that's how you say it. Puyallup, Washington. I've never even heard. Okay. Yeah. So wait, sorry. Maybe you already said this and I didn't catch it, but how far into the marriage was this? Like almost right away. Oh, okay. Um, okay. yeah, he like could not. And even I think when they got married, he like wasn't working and not. I mean, he was a smart guy and I, he was capable, but just his attitude was so bad. Employers <laughs> couldn't keep him around. So he wasn't working. Uh, Susan was working. But to help save money, they moved into his dad's home and his dad's name is Steve, which <laughs> I, whenever Steve? I think of the name Steve. Steve, I remember when you told that story on our Instagram stories. Do you remember, like, that um, we had our listener write in about oh, yes, Steve? Sorry. I'm just like, ew, it's always a Steve. <laughs> <laughs> sorry to anyone named Steve listening. <laughs> yeah, sorry to our Steves, but, you know. Okay. So, immediately upon moving into Steve's house, things were uncomfortable because Josh's three siblings who were also adults were also living there at Steve's house. So there were no bedrooms for Susan and Josh. So they ended up hanging up sheets in the dining room for like a makeshift bedroom. And they had like little to no privacy. This was like right after they were married too. So like they probably wanted to do it, but anyway. And it's in the dining room where you eat. Yeah, that's where they would sleep and everything. Oh, everything else. So they had little to no privacy. And quickly things became extremely awkward between Susan and her father-in-law, Steve. So Steve was 53 years old. And he developed an obsessive, creepy infatuation with 21-year-old Susan. Ew. He would put secret cameras in the bathroom and film her. Yeah. What? He would, Wait, was was Steve Mormon? Um, he I think he was Mormon at a time, and I don't think he was Mormon during this period. But like Josh and Susan were. I was just waiting for you to be like, yeah, he was the bishop. Oh my god, that'd be crazy. No, I no, he wasn't. Okay. Um so yeah, he would like film her, um, put secret cameras around. He would collect her used like tampons from the bathroom trash and he put them in the labeled and dated Ziploc bags and keep them. (gasps) 
he would take her dirty temple garments out of the hamper, like the ones that she'd been wearing, and he would lay them out on his bed next to himself and pretend to be like sleeping next to her. Oh, and he'd wow. film himself do this. <gasps> yeah. And he started to get so bold as to like openly film her all over the house. Like he'd follow her around the house all hours of the day, asking her to like pose and smile for the camera. And Susan, understandably, was freaked out by this. And she tried to get help from her husband, Josh, being like, okay, your dad's creeping me out. She didn't even know the really creepy part. She just knew that he was, like, following her around with a camera. And she was like, this is creepy. And Josh told her that she was either overreacting or she must have been wearing something slutty to incite the attention. (gasps) What? From your own dad? Like, fucking gross. Ew, like, can you imagine, like, your significant other's dad doing that to you? Ew. And so your your partner being like, oh, it's your fault. (sighs) It gives me the shivers. I hate it. So Susan got a job um, and was relieved to be able to get some space from her creepy father-in-law because she was spending more time at this job. Um, But She didn't actually get much space from him because he, Steve, would sit in his car outside of her work and videotape her, like, going to and from work. And, yeah, it's so creepy. In, In 2003, Steve cornered Susan and confessed that he was, quote, in love with her and that they belong together. This is so, yeah, okay. This is fucked. So Susan was obviously disgusted and would like rejected him was like, no, that's not happening. I'm married to your son. Um, And that was the last straw for her. She told Josh they had to move. They had to get out of Steve's house and she wanted to move far away. Like, and I totally agree with her. I'm like, yeah, gross. You get away. And finally, Josh agreed. And in 2004, they moved to West Valley City, Utah to be closer to other family members. And this also put them closer to a more Mormon community. Cause you know, Utah, <laughs> you know, Utah. you know, Utah. <laughs> okay. So Susan was relieved to like finally truly be away from Steve. And she was hopeful for the future. She got a good job at Wells Fargo while Josh still looked for work. Um, But she was happy to be in a suburb of Utah where basically everyone was Mormon in her neighborhood. And she quickly made friends with all these people. And she was just looking forward to a fresh start. But one thing was missing in her life. That was kids. Because, as I said before, being a mother, like a wife and a mother, was her ultimate goal as a Mormon woman. So that year, Susan was 22, that summer, Susan was 22, and she got pregnant, and soon thereafter gave birth to their son, Charlie. Oh, Charlie. Yeah, so on the outside, it looked like, kind of like the perfect, like, quintessential Mormon life was coming together, and Josh was finally able to hold down some work as a real estate agent, so Susan could have her dream life she wanted of being a stay-at-home mom to Charlie, and members of their ward said they seemed like a lovely couple. Even if Josh was a bit overbearing and arrogant, they were like, um, you know, they seem fine. But little did outsiders know that their home life was, like, far from perfect. They fought 
often. And Susan had thought that having a child would fix their marriage, but it only made their fights more frequent, which like, yeah. I'm so sad because that happens like far too often. Where I know. And that poor kid is like thrust in the middle of it too. Um, Josh was extremely controlling, manipulative, and emotionally abusive, and his behavior upset Susan, but she didn't think that divorce was an option because her identity as a wife and a mother was more important to her than anything else. And, you know, she'd vowed to be with him for all eternity in the temple, and she was his eternal companion. Oh, hate that saying. Oh. but. Yeah, she was just, like, sure that having enough faith could fix their marriage. And that's, I think that's a big problem in, like, religion, but also just, you know, in Mormonism is that you're told, like, oh, if you just work harder and if you're more faithful and righteous, like, everything will work out, even though it wasn't her fault and she was just being abused by him, you know? So, yeah, just the same piece of shit. And yeah. yeah. So, in 2007, Susan gave birth to another baby boy named Brayden. And oh. sure. Shortly after this, Josh made a terrible business investment of he he put his like face on the city bus benches for advertisements as a realtor. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it didn't work out. It didn't get him as <laughs> yeah, didn't get him any business. And he against Susan's wishes, actually, he declared bankruptcy because of this. So yeah, he he's a real winner. Ew. Um But this, you know, this forced Josh to stay home and watch the kids while Susan went back to work full time at Wells Fargo because she was the only one that could, like, maintain a decent job. But even though he was, you know, not being the breadwinner or anything, this didn't stop him from completely controlling Susan. So since they needed money, he sold Susan's car without her permission. What? Yep, forced her to ride her bike to and from work every day, which was over seven miles in the rain or snow. Like, she had to ride her bike to her Wells Fargo job because I he can't get over this. Wow. And of course, he kept his car, which, ugh, piece of shit. Um, and he also Ooh, had- right. So he sold. <gasps> I yep. thought maybe they only had one car between the two of them, but he nope. only sold hers and made her. Oh no. Yep. And he wouldn't even like drive her to work. He would make her ride her bike, and he had complete control over the finances, even though it was all her money. Like she would earn money, and like it would go into an account that he ran. And get this. He only, she only had, he he gave her an allowance each week, which was a hundred dollars of her own money that she had earned. And with this hundred dollars, she was expected to buy groceries for the whole family, like the family of four, a hundred dollars a week. And then like anything else she needed on her own, it, it had to be under a hundred dollars. And then he would control the rest of the money and he would like buy things for himself, like computer games and certain snacks that he liked and he would like write that no one on them that no one else was allowed to eat them I mean he was a real piece of trash yeah my blood is boiling right now I can't wrap my head around like oh my god he sold her car made her ride her bike to Mm -hmm. work 
and then controlled the money and only yep. gave her $100 of the money she earned yep. while he bought video games and snacks. Like, I, there's no way in hell I would ever tolerate that. Like, that's no. insane. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. And he's just like, yeah, I'm the patriarch. Like, you have to do what I say. And it's it's so sad that she didn't, if she, I don't think she realized how much she was being abused, at least at this point. I think she, you know, she realizes it more and more as time goes on. But like, ah, oh, this poor woman. Ugh. Oh, okay. God. So as time went on, things got worse. If you can even imagine that. By yeah. mid-2008, things had gotten so bad that like, friends had started to had started to see that Susan was unhappy in her marriage and they also could sense that she was like afraid of Josh and so at this point she was pushed to her wits end and her friends kind of helped her contact a divorce lawyer who told her that she should videotape all of like everything in their house all of their possessions and assets to document it, to make sure that if a divorce did happen, she would get her fair half. And this video is like super chilling and you can find it on YouTube. You can tell she's like in distress. You can tell she's upset and she in it. She's like, oh, I just wish we could live happily ever after. But I don't know if that's going to happen. And she goes around and like films all of his computer stuff. And it's just like really creepy. Um, and she also, at this time, she wrote a will, which stated that in the case of her death, that she wanted the custody of Charlie and Brayden to be given to her parents and not to Josh. Mm. And, and she included the statements, quote, I want it documented that there is extreme turmoil in our marriage. If I die, it may not be an accident, even if it looks like one. (gasps) Oh, yeah. What? Uh huh. And she locked this will and the video that she took um, in a secret safe deposit box that she didn't tell anyone about. It was at the bank and no one knew about it. So near the end of 2008, Susan found out while she was at work that Josh would spend hours upon hours on the phone with his dad, Steve. Creepy Steve. And this infuriated Susan because... Josh had said he would distance himself from his dad after all the creepy shit he did. And now she learns that he's just like talking to him for hours a day. Um, And when she confronted Josh about it, he like downplayed it and gaslit her again into thinking that she was crazy. Um, But she'd had enough. And this made her give Josh an ultimatum. If he didn't cut off contact with his dad, find work and treat her better then she was going to leave him. Oh, good for you, Susan. Yes. So, okay. On the morning of December 7th, 2009, Susan didn't show up for work. Mm. And Josh didn't show up at his recently acquired job either. The kids, Charlie and Brayden, didn't show up to daycare. And this was super unusual because they were like always at daycare on time and the daycare workers were concerned. So they tried calling Susan. She didn't answer. They tried calling Josh. He didn't answer. They, they tried calling Josh's work and they said he never showed up. Mm. They couldn't get a hold of anyone. So the daycare workers called the emergency contact, which was Josh's sister. 
And she was like, oh, no, I don't know. I haven't heard from them either. So Josh's sister went over to the Powell's house and, like, knocked on the door. No one came to the door. Everything was locked. Um, It had snowed, and there was no, like, tire tracks going in and out of the garage. So they were like, what the heck? And she was worried that perhaps, like, maybe they'd suffered from carbon monoxide poisoning inside or something. So she called the Yeah, so she called the police and gave them permission to break a window to get in. So the police break a window, and they go in the house, and no one's there. There's no sign of, like, disturbance or anything like that. But something they noticed right when they entered is that the radio was on, and it was pretty loud. And then they noticed that there were some big box fans, two big box fans blowing on a couch that had looked like it had been freshly deep cleaned. Like it was still damp, like (gasps) shampoo. Yeah. They found, they found Susan's purse with her wallet and keys inside. And then they noticed tiny blood spots on a corner of the floor. The family vehicle, the one, well, Josh's vehicle, I guess, was missing. And it was just such a mystery. They were like, this is so weird. Why didn't they call into their jobs? Like, why is the car gone? Where is everyone? And the entire family was declared missing. Both sides of the family, the extended family, were like panicking, um, just like trying anything they could do, like searching around, putting up bulletins, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, finally, around 7 p.m. that night, so much later, Josh comes rolling up in the driveway nonchalantly in his car, and he has the two boys in the back seat, but no Susan. Yeah. And he's just calm as can be, and he's like, what's going on? Like, what? Like, this is weird. Like, why is everyone freaking out? And the investigators asked him, like, where have you been? We've been calling you all day long looking for you. We all, we thought you were missing. And are you ready to hear this asshole story of where he was? <laughs> oh, I'm a bit nervous, but yeah, okay. Okay, so he says, the night before, at midnight, he had decided that he was going to take the kids camping. Oh, that's right. Okay, this is the detail I remember. Yes. Of the story. So, Mind you, it's December in Utah. The temperatures are below freezing, and there was a snowstorm. So, like, no one goes camping in a snowstorm. No one goes camping in the middle of the night, like, on a weeknight. And with two small kids. Yeah, they were, I I believe they were only, like, two and four. Or, you know, very, very little. Mm. Um, so yeah, he claims he took the boys for an adventure and left Susan at home because she didn't want to come. And he claims that he wasn't answering his phone because he kept it turned off to conserve the battery. Oh, so they're like, well, do you know where Susan is? And he's like, well, she's probably at work. And they're like, no, we've told you a thousand times. We cannot find her. She's not at her work. That's the first place we looked. Um, and he's just like, well, I don't know. I'm sure she's somewhere. Like, he wasn't even worried at all. 
So they took him down to the station for questioning, and he denies knowing anything about where Susan is. And he says the last time he saw her was the night before. Um, but he does get agitated about something. It's about his broken window. He's mad that the cops broke the window to get inside. What? That's what he's mad about. But he doesn't give two shits that his wife is missing. He's just like, oh, I don't know. He's so weird, so sketchy, so evasive. I can't wait to watch videos of this. I, I don't. I don't know what he looks like. Oh God, he has the most punchable face of almost any punchable oh. face. It's just the worst. Yeah, watch the Investigation Discovery episode on this. It's really good. Okay. Um. So yeah, like he didn't. I, I just. I'm trying to put myself in a position where my like you know someone you love and that, you know, you're sharing your life with is missing, I would be, like, freaking out, being like, how can I help? How can I help find her? I'd be asking so many questions, but he didn't ask anything. He didn't ask how he could help. He didn't even give up information freely. Like, they had to kind of drag information out of him. Oh, my God. So while he was being questioned, they searched his car, and they found Susan's phone. (gasps) Yeah. He, of course, had no explanation as to why it was there, Um, and he just kind of, like, evades the question and was like, I don't know. I have no idea why it's there. And then he suggests that maybe Susan ran off with another man. Of course, because that's that's what they all say, and that's the (laughs) other... the one I was talking about before, I think he yep. said that too. Like, oh, maybe yep. she ran off with another man. Yeah. And it's just absurd because we all know that's the excuse they make. But also, it's extra absurd for Susan to do this because her identity was like being a mom and a Mormon mom and wife. Like, she, yeah, exactly. she would never do that. Um, okay. So during this time, special agents interviewed the kids Charlie and Brayden and Charlie who was so he would Charlie was five and Brayden was three so Charlie said he went camping with his brother and his dad and his mommy was in the trunk (gasps) yeah and he also said his mommy stayed quote where the crystals are what? Which I think they were trying to put together was like a place in the mountains where there were lots of rocks um yeah, it's like heartbreaking when you hear his sweet oh, little. Oh God, it's it's so heartbreaking, but it's also creepy as it's fuck. So, like so creepy, these poor little boys. And Josh is just like, oh no, they, you know, little kids lie. He's just lying. She wasn't with us. I mean, yeah, oh, I hate him. So the police go to the campground that Josh claimed where he claimed he had taken the boys, and they searched. They searched high and low, couldn't find anything they couldn't even find evidence that he'd been there let alone susan so on december 15th this was you know about a a week later officers they were still struggling to find clues regarding where susan could possibly be and josh failed to show up for his formal interview with police so they announced that he was being extremely unhelpful and obstructing justice, and he was officially named as a person of interest. Yeah. So um, soon after that, police seized Josh's car for further searching, and and they told him, like, you know, it won't take long. We just need to have it for an hour or two to fully search it. But instead of waiting for the search to be over, 
Josh instead rented a car at the Salt Lake City International Airport and drove it 800 miles. <gasps> no one knows where he went, but if you're driving 800 miles, like, you could have gone almost anywhere in the state of Utah or even into surrounding states. Like, that's a lot of miles. What? And, um. He bought a burner cell phone, activated it in Tree Mountain, Utah, near the Utah-Idaho border. So he was north at one point. Okay. And investigators thought maybe he was meeting up with his dad because his dad, Steve, had taken two sick days off at this exact same time. Oh, interesting. Very. Mm. Okay. Then when he finally gets back from wherever he went, went for 800 miles, he packs up his belongings and his kids, and in the middle of the night, he moves to Puyallup, Washington, to move in with his dad. What in the fuck? Right? He doesn't stay in the state where his wife is missing. He literally leaves the state. Like, everyone is searching for her, and he's just like, Nah, I'm just going to go move out of state and be with my creepy dad. And he takes his kids with him. Like, I'm just, I, I can't. So, um, I mean, does he, he must not be the smartest person, like the sharpest tool in the shed. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, And he also, this piece of shit, he files a restraining order against Susan's parents so they can't attempt to come, like, take back the kids. Like, wow. How can you file it without proof or like? He's crazy. I don't know. Um, and then it just gets worse. So instead of helping in like the search for her or really helping to find her, Josh and Steve, they go on TV and create a website trying to trash Susan's reputation and make her look like a cheating wife. Um, yeah, they they say that she's overly sexual and promiscuous and that she was abused as a child, which is totally false. And they hold to the story that she ran away with another man. Like, they go on TV saying this garbage. They um, are garbage. That is horrendous. Yes. They also go on TV saying that they have Susan's journals that prove what an adulterous woman she was. And this statement was all police needed to execute a search warrant on Steve Powell's home to obtain those journals. Because they're like, if you really do have those, we need those for evidence. Oh. So they kind of like shot themselves in the foot. Um, so they they went into Steve Powell's house and not only did they, they find the journals, but they found so much more. <sighs> oh, God. They found Steve's journals that proclaim how much he was obsessed with Susan, how he wanted to marry her and how much he masturbated while thinking of her. Ew. They found her used garments and tampons and makeup sponges in the baggies that he'd labeled. He also had recorded secret love songs about her. This and guy he, is creepy. He's like, oh, it gives me the shivers. He had thousands of images of her, like, from inside his house, inside other people's house, from doing errands everywhere, like thousands. And he also had close-up pictures where he'd, like, 
put the camera, you know, tried to get an angle up her skirt. Mm. And And then he also, this is so gross. He had videos of himself, like, masturbating while talking to an imaginary Susan. It's really gross. So, along with all that terrifying evidence, they found even more. Steve had been taking photos and videos of women and little girls in his neighborhood. He would spy on the neighbor's little girls while they were changing or bathing and take photos of them through their windows. So, he was arrested for child pornography and voyeurism, and he was sentenced to five years in prison. Thank God. But oh. five years, it's not that much, but... No. Oh, gross. Isn't that disgusting? Oh, I feel so icky. So, since Steve was arrested, Charlie and Brayden were removed from the house. Thanks, celestial Jesus. Um, yeah. Even though Josh was still living there, but, like, yeah, that was all the, they needed to be like, nope, you're not living here. And Susan's parents were finally able to get temporary custody of the children. And this made Josh infuriated. But it's like, dude, you're like a suspect in your wife's disappearance. And your dad just got arrested for child porn. Like, (laughs) the kids need to be away for a while. Yeah, exactly. So police get a tip about someone else that may have been involved in helping with Susan's disappearance. And this person is Josh's brother, Michael Powell. It was learned it was learned that Michael was in close contact with Josh during this whole ordeal and he had sold his car for scrap to a junkyard right around the time that Susan vanished. His car wasn't like a super old beat up car. It was in decent shape, but instead of selling it to a dealership, he sold it somewhere where it would be destroyed. But cops discovered this and they took cadaver dogs to the salvage yard to inspect the car. And the dogs indicated decomposition in the trunk of the car. Mm. So they seized the car and took it to be processed for evidence. And DNA was found, but they couldn't match it conclusively to Susan, which was frustrating. So the cops interview Michael, and he said on the night of Susan's disappearance, he was with his father, Steve, and he knew nothing of Susan's disappearance. Um, And once the cops told him that they had his car, he got really nervous and totally shut down and wouldn't talk to him anymore. and was like not cooperating. So basically doing what Josh did, right? Like, no, I'm not even going to try to help. So meanwhile, Josh is fighting to get custody of his kids back, which is really troubling to Susan's parents because they, you know, they didn't think that a suspect in a murder case should have custody of children. Like, no, I, mean, I agree with them. So they go to court and the judge didn't grant custody to Josh, but he did grant, or it was a she, um, the judge, she did grant temporary supervised visits where a state social worker must be present, like when he's visiting his kids. Okay. Okay. So on February 5th, 2012, it was time for the first supervised visit. A social worker picked up Charlie and Brayden from their grandparents' house and drove them to visit their dad, Josh. As soon as a social worker pulled up to the house, the children bounded out of the car with excitement and ran up to the front door of the house. The social worker was just a few steps behind them, and she saw Josh open the door, and he let the kids in. He looked up at her gave her a slight smirk, and then slammed the door in her face and locked it. 
Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. And she was confused and alarmed because she was supposed to be in the house, like, present for the entire visit. And she, like, pounded on the door, tried to turn the knob, couldn't get in. And then she heard Josh tell his kids that he had a big surprise for them. (gasps) And then she smelled gasoline. (gasps) No! Oh, my God, no! Yeah, so... She heard one of the kids scream and she frantically dialed 911. Now, if you want to listen to like maybe the most frustrating and infuriating thing of your whole life, look up this 911 call and it is played in the documentaries because this is the most infuriating 911 call I've ever heard. The dispatcher has no idea what's happening. Like he makes this social worker repeat herself over and over what? and over. And she's just like, I'm worried about these children's safety. I brought them to this, this uh, visit and I'm supposed to be in there and I smell gasoline and he won't let me in. And he is, this dispatcher is just, I was going to play some of it on the podcast, but I'm like, no, it makes me too mad. Like he just asks her stupid questions. Like, well, what's the color of your car, blah, blah, blah. Like, and she's what? like, no, this is urgent. Like, I need help right now. I need help. And he's like, and he's like, okay, well, we'll send a deputy when we can. And she goes, well, how soon can they get here? And he says, "We, ma'am, we respond to life-threatening situations first, and then we can come assist you. And she just screams, this is life-threatening. I'm afraid for their lives. Like, oh my God. arguing with this dispatcher to get police to come help but by the time they say they'll come help it's too late she suddenly hears a huge explosion and the house goes up entirely in flames it was just annihilated nothing was left it was this huge house fire Um, and it took hours to put the flames out. And when investigators were finally able to go in, they discovered that the two little boys had hatchet wounds to their skulls and necks, but had actually died from smoke inhalation. Oh, so I know this, this, uh, this evil monster of a person, Josh Powell hacked up his two tiny children and left them to suffer and die inhaling smoke while he just sat there like a coward and let the fire take him. Oh. Ugh, it's so absurd. Oh I know. I know. Who fucking takes the hatchet to their kids? I, a monster. I, I, I can't even fathom. And I just couldn't imagine. I just was in tears thinking about Susan's parents because they had tried so hard to protect these little boys. They didn't want them to go on this supervised visit. They didn't want them to be around Josh, but they had to legally. And now not only is their daughter missing and most likely murdered, now they don't even have their grandchildren. Oh, Oh, it's terrible. So... With Josh dead, the police really, they don't have anyone else to turn to, to ask, like, to find out what happened to Susan. So they turn to his brother, Michael, again, in hopes of, like, discovering something, like, anything. They believed he must know 
just at least the tiniest thing that could help them. And he was super evasive and unhelpful. And in early 2013, police got an alarming call that Michael had jumped off of a seven-story parking garage into a busy street and killed himself. (gasps) Right? What? Yeah. It's so bizarre. Oh, my God, you guys. I'm, I'm like, sitting up for this. Okay. It's so nuts. And so then the only other person left that might know something about where Susan was was Steve Powell. And he was in prison for his child porn charges. And he never helped at all. He got out of prison in 2017. And he died in July of 2018. I heard two conflicting stories. Someone said it was a heart attack. And someone said it was natural causes. So no one knows. Um, Susan Powell is still missing, but presumed dead by authorities. I mean, authorities, almost everyone knows that Josh did it, that Josh killed her, but we don't know how, we don't know where she is. And just to kind of make this a little more real, she was really young. Like she's a bit, not that much older than us. She would be 39 if she was alive right now. And today, um, Charlie would have been almost 16 and Brayden would have been almost 14. That's so sad. And it's also, uh, I mean, the whole thing is really depressing and sad, but the fact that they just don't have closure, they don't know what happened to her or where she is. I know. And it just, it breaks my heart and I, it makes you really realize that like, I don't know, these ideas of like staying in a marriage because your religion is, you know, you're supposed to be married to be this worthy Mormon woman. It's so detrimental. And I wish so badly she could have just gotten out of it and gotten out of it safely and uh, escaped that monster. Ugh. I am in shock right now. It's one of those. I mean, obviously, all true crime stories are tragic and horrible and, you know, really awful. But it's just like he is the biggest coward ever. He yes. and, and also just so. Uh, I mean, he's the worst of the worst. Like he doesn't he he purposely killed himself so that no one would ever know, know. what happened to her, which is even more selfish. Like it's just insane. I know, and I and it just makes it all the more terrible that he took his children for. Oh. They were they were just young and. And some people, yeah, some people have speculated that, I mean, mostly probably it was because of his ego and he didn't want anyone else to enjoy his children if he couldn't. But a lot of people have also said that maybe the kids, their memories would become clearer because you know how they said like mommy was in the trunk and stuff. Mm -hmm. Maybe he was worried about them telling. I don't know exactly. I mean, of course, we'll never know. That's so tragic. It's terrible. I'm so sorry to be such a bummer. (laughs) No, now I just want to like go look up more stuff, like look at images and stuff like that because, whoa. Yeah, when you see photos of him, you're going to be like, ew, I hate you. I, I, oh, God, ew. And there's like, there's terrible videos of him like trying to defend himself in interviews, like, 
on the news and stuff and watching them now looking back it's so creepy and gross oh i mean maybe you mentioned this and i just missed it but where was his mom during all of this um his mom so his parents had divorced and his mom was living in west valley city and I think she was like almost as soon as it happened, she was on the side of like Susan's parents, like being like, why isn't, you know, why aren't you helping the police? All that kind of thing. I didn't learn much about her, but that's what I could gather is that she was kind of like estranged from the rest of the family. Oh, I see. I bet she got out because his dad is, you know, gross pedophile pervert. Yeah. You know, I did hear something in one of the things I listened to that Steve, um, when he was married to Josh's mom, he, like, was really into the idea of polygamy, and he Mm -hmm. wanted to take a second wife, and the mom was like, no, we're not doing that, and then I think that led to, like, some abuse and then divorce. So there's a lot of, like, really weird Mormon stuff laced in and a lot of the men just being so controlling and terrible and creepy. Oh. I just, I, I, this whole story is blowing my mind, but all right. Yeah. <laughs> well, yay. There it is. Thank you all for sticking through that. Um. <laughs> Thank you for doing all the research and telling us this mind-blowing story that's so tragic but also like a good reminder for anyone who's ever been in a situation like this or is in a situation like this like get out get the support you need get out don't stay do not stay reach out we'll we can try to help in any way if you know anyone or if this is happening to you yeah get out exactly All right, guys. Thanks so much. And um, we'll be back. We'll be back next week. (laughs) Yeah, go watch some cartoons or uplifting shows now. (laughs) Yeah, go this episode. (laughs) Go do something to make yourself feel happy because this was a downer, but it needed to be said. (laughs) It needed to be shared. We want to share Susan's story. And if anyone knows anything about it, like if there's any way we can help to get this family some closure um we're gonna do our part so for sure all right thanks guys stay safe and healthy and have a great week bye bye